Welcome to the For Evansville podcast, a podcast about listening to the needs and dreams of our city uh, so that we can help make it a place where everyone can flourish. Don't just be in Evansville, be for Evansville. We're really excited for our conversation today. We're talking with someone uh, who definitely is uh, for Evansville. And Adrian, why don't you tell us more yeah. about him? And well, we're here with Jeremy Sager today. He's a kinder music educator, and he's the board chair for Isaiah 117 Project, which focuses on wraparound care for families in foster care that are participating in foster care. So these sound pretty disconnected from one another, you know, a kids' music program and families doing foster care, but Jeremy kind of lives in the middle of those and has found a cool way for them to connect. So let's just start with kinder music. Can sure. you give us... A little overview and something pretty cool about it here in Evansville. Sure. So um, Kinder Music is a music program developmental from ages newborn all the way up to age seven. And so what we do is the natural development of the child is enhanced all through music. Um, so say in our infant classes, we're working on a lots of intentional touch and bonding and um, mirroring, having them watch your movements and moving their bodies through space, things like that. Hmm. In the 18 months to three-year-old class, um, you're working on a lot of verbal skills and lots of fine and gross motors. They get their bodies starting to find themselves a little bit yeah. and kind of move around. They're starting to climb at home and things like that, um, starting to run, jump, all of those things. So we use music and rhythm um, songs to enhance that, to help them work through those things. And then in the three to five age range, um, you're going into much more imaginative play. Mm -hmm. So the the curriculum really tells a story through the entire semester and so through music and instruments and our story we we create a an imaginative story through that entire semester as they get engaged with it um, start telling their own stories putting sentences together you know much more cognitive mm -hmm. um, abilities that we're working on and then once they hit the five to seven they're really ready to um, begin those musical skills, learning to read on a staff, um, starting to play instruments. Uh, they learn the dulcimer, recorder, glockenspiel. So just lots of great things. So, yeah. But it really takes them where they are developmentally, and we just enhance that and help them through those stages with their parents. Right. And the goal isn't like, oh, uh, from ages birth through seven, we're going to set you up to be like a world renowned musician. It's no. we're using music to enhance like brain development. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So, you know, all the studies have been coming out one after another uh, that music is just so important to brain development because it's one of those activities that actually triggers both sides of our brains mm -hmm. at the same time. And so, you know, we've got the creative side and the mathematical science side and in those synapses that form help cross over that helps our brain to function more efficiently at a better, at a stronger level um, problem solving, processing, all of those things, speech. Um, and so we use music and movement in that way. So it's really just trying to enhance that development to get the most out of um, the music curriculum. Yeah, I think um, we maybe had, I think it was Alicia Sheridan on the podcast at one point, And I remember her saying, I, th I think it was her, uh, saying that in the earliest stages, uh, kids actually process 
speech uh, the way that we process music. So whenever they start to form words, they're not actually thinking of them as words the way that we do, but they're thinking of the sounds the way that we think of music, which I always thought was like fascinating. Um, But uh, the kinder music in Evansville is kind of special. Um, and we're going to, we're just going to lob this up for you to sort of humble brag about it a little bit. It is kind Um, of a humble brag. That's right. So yeah, we just, um, we were just notified that Kinder Music International um, classified us as the number one program in the United States and the number two program internationally. So Kinder wow. Music International is based out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they have teachers and studios throughout the world. And um, so we had the distinct honor of being the number one studio in the U.S. Yeah. And number two behind Singapore. Um, in the world, but yeah. we'll, we'll take number two, yeah. Yeah. But, we're, but we are coming for you, Singapore. Oh, yeah, that's like, right. We're maybe coming next for you year. next year, right. next year, Singapore. You're, yeah. we've, we, our eyes are on you. Yeah. So how do they measure those outcomes or how do they know? So a lot of it is based on materials that you order in the size of your studio. Okay. Um, so all of our curriculum and materials have to go through Greensboro. Hmm. And so they supply us with all of those things, our enrollment and everything goes through them. And so they base it um, on those kind of metrics. Yeah. So, yeah. How many kids would you say you've, you kind of follow them from birth to that seven years? So that's a great question. And I don't know, um, on average, I'm, I really don't know that answer because I am really focused on, um, the 18 months to five year old age. Um, what I found is I used to teach the baby classes, um, and when the dads came, it was really awesome because I was able as a dad to be like, Hey, okay, we can do this together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times the moms come in and they're having some, you know, mom issues and maybe they're having trouble nursing or, or they're having difficulty bonding or they've got a colicky baby. And what we found is it's just really nice for them to have a woman, um, in the mm-hmm. class to be able to relate to. And so, um, you know, we t- talked as a studio that, you know, for me, I think it's better. And for the parents that I would kind of go to the 18 months to five. And so, mm. um, but we do have a lot of, of kids that continue through. Um, I know basic numbers are, we are right now about 500 kids that come through our studio um, every week. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So I, I know I'm thinking of other uh, podcast episodes that we've done and we've had the topic of early childhood development and early childhood learning come up a lot. It's sometimes in surprising conversations. Like we were, we were talking with the director of Aurora and we asked like, Hey, what's, what's one of the things that um, needs to change in our community to help address um, homelessness in our community. And his number one response was early childhood education, which was really surprising to us because that's not something that they directly are, are focused on, but people are recognizing the the value of that. So can you just talk to us about that a little bit? Like what is the value that comes from working with a child in these very early ages? I mean, even as an infant, you know, working with things like touch and developing areas of the brain, even that early on, what, what's the ripple effect of that as they grow up and get older? 
Sure. So especially starting as an infant people, we always get the question, like, why would you start? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. that's something that why am I taking my baby to taking, music class? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but if you look at the benefits of it, you know, you're looking at attachment, you're looking at bonding, you're looking at um, learning to regulate yourself already at those infant stages. So when I say regulate, I mean, you know, being able to self-soothe, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're upset. Um, mom or dad holds them. It kind of calms them. There's attachment there. There's that bonding. It provides safety. It provides a sense of um, awareness of who they are, self-awareness right. and things like that. So even, even then you're already starting to develop um, those skills that are needed, you know, to enhance schoolwork or, or even, even just an emotional awareness in a child, right. you know? And so as we, then we process through, um, you know, we do the more of the education side, learning, you know, forming words, working through problems, you know, not all of our kids um, that, that see us are um, normal ability. Right. So not, you know, for those that aren't normal ability, we can help them work through those problems that helps give them determination. They can do it, gives them self-confidence, self-esteem. But then on the other side, it shows some empathy mm -hmm. um, for the other children that are in the class that they can befriend them and be part of that and, right. and surround them. And so, so you're teaching community and yeah. you're teaching, you know, love for, for your neighbor and things like that. And, and just help, help in general and, and seeing people as, people. Right. And so, you know, I think that is, is one of those things um, we have noticed, especially in this post COVID world um, have for us having to wear masks for so mm -hmm. long. Um, it's difficult for some of the kids now to, to read faces. Sure. Um, and so, you know, so we're working on expression, you yeah. know, different, different types of facial expression and, and things like that. And so, you know, I think all of those things are so important in the development of children as, as they grow into young girls and boys and young adults, and then into the workforce so that they have that foundation from the very beginning right. of, of working with people, of, you know, loving people, of feeling that secure attachment, mm -hmm. being confident, kind of all of those things. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds pretty like medical developmental therapy do you have um programs or do people refer kids to you or is it just a parent relationship so there? we do actually we do get several referrals um from speech therapists and um, physical therapists and things like that um because we've been around for a while so they know what sure. we do and, and, and the benefits of the program. Um, it's not like a true referral, like you think of a medical referral okay. because we're, mm. we, it's just a, a program. So there's no insurance involved or anything mm. like sure. that. Um, sometimes we do offer scholarships, um, for those that might need scholarship help. Um, but, but yeah, we do have a referral basis. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you were talking about, um, things like attachment and uh, some of that early development that happens early in, in a child's, you know, just um, even the bonding that happens between a child and their parents um, in those early years and how that really is a foundation that 
um, lends itself to a lot of other areas of development. Uh, being able to feel safe, being able to feel like I can explore my surroundings as a toddler, and if I fall down, my um, mom or dad is going to be there to pick me up and make it all better, things like that, uh, regulating emotions, stuff like that. Um, and I know those are all things that come up um, in the other area of work that we mentioned, which is foster care and the Isaiah 117 project providing wraparound care to foster families. And so can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in that space for, unfortunately, a lot of kids who maybe haven't experienced some of those um, really important developmental experiences that have allowed them to form healthy attachments and develop healthy coping skills and a sense of um, the way that they relate to other people. Um, and, you know, what are some of the ways that uh, people are able to then come in later and, and begin to provide some of those experiences that build that up later in life? What does that look like? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, attachment is is just such a key form of our development. Um, you know, just like you said, from the very early on, that is the root of, of our development is if we are attached. And mm -hmm. so, and when we say know, attached, we're talking like really forming relationships, relationships with other people, yes, right? Yes. Yes. So we're forming relationships and that primary attachment is to your caregiver, mm -hmm. you know, specifically your mom or mom and dad. Um, you know, when children have, difficulty attaching, whether that be for removal from their home mm -hmm. in the case of children entering care um, into the foster system, um, whether that be, you know, the death of, of a parent or something like that, sure. there is something traumatic that could happen like that. There is a difficulty or even, even abuse within a home. Maybe right. they weren't removed, but there is abuse within the home and, and there's a, a level of non-attachment that happens. Right. Um, you know, through the Isaiah 117 project, we recognize that that is something that the children that we serve go through. Right. And, and not only that, but it's something that the parents that we serve who are fostering need to need to understand yeah. as well, because that that's the one of the most important things is that, you know, when you're bringing a child into your home to understand where they're coming from, you know, we think of behaviors as just being behaviors. Right really it's an expression of an emotion. Mm -hmm. And and if they don't have that proper expression, right. that emotion is going to come out as a behavior. Right. Um, and so being able to walk alongside a family and say, you know, these are, these are behaviors because of this, or, you know, let us help you. We've, We've got people who are professionals that, that have been there. We can help counsel you. We can help give you different techniques. Um, one of the things that I personally learned through um, our adoption is, you know, the timeout is like, everybody's like, oh, timeout, timeout. <laughs> um, but with somebody who has attachment issues, that's actually the worst thing you could do. Right. Because you're removing them again from your care, from your right. presence. Yeah. And so you, instead of doing timeout, you do time in, mm -hmm. time in with them. And so yeah. it, it seems counterproductive, but, but you're not working with somebody who has, um, and I don't mean this, you know, in a negative way, but normal brain or development, Sure, you know, they're because of whatever trauma they've been through, right. They're, brain is functioning differently yeah. than somebody who is, you know, neuronormal. Yeah. And so, 
you know, that attachment and, and, uh, um, is just super key to, to what we do. Um, being able and being consistent, I think is something else that's important in, in when we are wrapping around the care for the families, um, you know, the same people, we want the same people mm-hmm. to, to go and the, the children could, can know them and meet them, develop right. those relationships, work through those, work through those things. So, you know, yeah. that's so important in the work that we do. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Well, you, you segued nicely for us from kinder music to this <laughs> Isaiah 117 project. Um, could you explain, just give us an overarching view of, of what that is? Sure. People who don't know. Sure, absolutely. So the Isaiah 117 Project is a local nonprofit. Um, we serve um, eight surrounding communities in or counties rather in Southwest Indiana, and um, we provide um, relief, rehab, and restoration to children and families that are in the foster care system. So our relief care is really through our bags of hope and our Dream Cycles program. So if a child is taken to any of our local hospitals, um, say there was a huge drug bust mm-hmm. and the children were there were children removed, taken to the hospital because they have to be checked out. Maybe there was meth, they have no, they have to take off all their clothes. Right. They can't take anything with them. Mm-hmm. The hospital has bags with pajamas, all of the necessities that they can take with them to wherever they're they'll be placed Mm -hmm. um, so that they have those. Um, Our Dream Cycles program provides bicycles for children in care, and that is so that they have the opportunity along with, if there are other siblings in the home, that they would have that opportunity to bond Mm-hmm. You know, through bike riding, through exercise, not only, you know, the exercise is so good for our mental health, our physical right. health. Um, if they're older, maybe they're a teenager, it gives them some freedom, mm-hmm. maybe help them get a job um, close to home. So give them a little bit of freedom um, in that regard. So, you know, those programs are kind of our relief. Um, but our new program is Fortifying Foster Families. It's a we call it F3 and I kind of liken it to a tornado because it's kind of right. (laughs) F3, my brother's a meteorologist. And so I'm like, Oh, F3, it's a tornado. Yeah. But, um, but when I have that image of a tornado, the tornado wraps around its center. Yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. so the family is the center and we have all this care wrapping around our family. Yeah. Um, It's pretty um, surprised. The statistics are shocking. Um, 75% 75% of families that do not have care, have wraparound care within the first two years that foster will quit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, if they have care, if they have help and wraparound care those first two years, 90% continue to foster. Wow. So that's huge. As it's yeah. huge. And as an organization, we looked at those numbers and we said, what are we doing in our community? What are we doing in our community to change those numbers? Because here in southwestern Indiana, um, we have seven children waiting care to one foster family mm-hmm. that can take them in. And so we said, okay, well, if 90% continue to foster, then we need to wrap around them. Yes. We need to help them. Mm-hmm. So um, we've hired um, a full-time social worker. Um, we're reaching out to churches and organizations and businesses um, to, to help us. So what, yeah, what does wraparound care? Sure. No, it's it's 
yeah. right? You it looks it like a time. tornado. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like a tornado. Right. Yeah, it's a tornado. Sounds Sometimes chaotic. It, yeah, chaotic, right? <laughs> Sometimes the house can be chaotic. I, yeah. yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of that, <laughs> right? But um, no, so so really what we're saying is, you know, we want the family's primary goal to be caring for the child. So we don't want them to have to worry about, you know, a meal all the time. So so maybe wraparound care for one family looks like um, a meal provided every week by by, you know, a group of people. Maybe, you know, we've partnered with um, different businesses that are offering free passes for karate or dance. So they don't have to use their money to, for those extracurricular activities. It helps get the children into some activities, gets them some socialization, you know, gets them involved physically. Um, Maybe it is um, respite care. Maybe, maybe mom and dad just need a break. And Mm -hmm. so we have trained people that can go over and watch the kiddos. Um, You know, maybe it's somebody to just come over and help do laundry Mm -hmm. and and just sit and listen. Yeah. Um, Because honestly, that's, that's really important. People really underestimate the importance of just having somebody there to listen. Mm -hmm. So it really kind of whatever that family needs is really what we're going to try to provide um, through through the church and through different organizations. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's hugely important. Um, before we started recording, we were kind of talking about that idea of uh, being in the trenches, uh, which I know you and your wife um, have, have been in the trenches for a long time and done that kind of thing. But even just thinking about that idea of attachment that we were talking about earlier, um, it is, uh, it's a, it's a often, painful thing to be the person who is going to enter into the story of someone who um, just hasn't been able to form those attachments and to be the person who's going to reach out and say, I'm going to form those attachments with you. Because to form an attachment with somebody and develop a meaningful relationship with them, um, by the very nature of forming those deep attachments, you are taking on uh, some of the pain and some of the trauma that they have been carrying for a long time, sometimes since they were a very young child. And so um, you can't uh, love someone and form attachment with them um, and and not bear some of the weight of that pain. And it can be incredibly uh, challenging and exhausting. And uh, to try to do it alone is just just about impossible. And so I, I know, you know, my wife and I have, have had several um, friends of ours who have kind of entered into that world. And we've seen just the incredible, like, weight that comes with it. Um, and it's a weight that, like, you need other people to come and carry it with you. And so I, I would love to hear from you, you know, as as you and your family have been in that space of carrying that weight and taking that on. Um, what's maybe some wisdom or encouragement that you would share with listeners who either are in the trenches themselves right now and they're feeling that weariness of like, this is just too hard and I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Um, or also for people who are listening to this and they're wondering, like, I wonder if I could be one of those people who is 
um, providing wraparound care. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe they're thinking to themselves, like, I kind of want to do that, but at the same time, it sounds really scary and hard, you know? So, um, you know, how would you speak to that aspect of just the the difficulty of it and the hardness of it. Um, how, how do you still invite people into that while saying, hey, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, but you should do it? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think for those who might be questioning whether or not um, they can enter into the trenches, I would say, you know, really, really prayerfully consider it um, because it it, it does take a lot mm-hmm. um, and, and realize that maybe you're not called to be in the trenches, but maybe you're called to support someone in the trenches. Sure. You know, we're not all called to the same, to the same mission, um, but we can all help within the same mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you don't feel like be, taking on somebody who's entering care or, or adopting, which is kind of what we're talking about here, um, is something that you either can financially do or, or, um, you know, emotionally do that. That's okay. But ask yourself what, what can you do? Yeah. Um, because you know, you, there is a place, um, to help uplift and, and support the families that are there. And, and it is so important, just like we've said, that support is, is just so important um, so that those families can continue to do what they do. Um, For those who are currently in the trenches, um, you know, we were talking before we were recording and and my wife and I get asked all the time, um, would you do it again? Um, Mm -hmm. Because our story is not one that necessarily has the the rainbow ending. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our, our answer is yes. We would, because we we know we were called to do it, even though it was hard. Um, I would say it's normal. <laughs> I think that's one thing that we realized as as we went through it, and, and we began talking to people. Um, it's kind of it was an unspoken truth mm-hmm. that that this is really hard, and and nobody ever really told us that. You know, yeah. we had this imagery of we're just going to bring these children in and it's going to be wonderful and, and everything's going to be great. And we'll just always be this one happy family and everything will integrate perfectly. Yeah. And, and that's just not the reality, mm-hmm. you know, just like we said before, when, when you have children who are coming from a place um, where there was no attachment mm-hmm. to, to try to bring them in and have them attach, they, even though they wanted a family being able to, to interact within that family was foreign to them. Yeah. And so, you know, to those families that are, that are there say, you know, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. You you can, you're doing great. Even though you feel like you're failing, you're not. Um, But most importantly, reach out, Mm -hmm. Um, reach out, um, you know, reach out to the Isaiah 117 project. Let us know, Mm -hmm. Um, reach out to your local church, um, reach out to friends. Um, that was one thing that that my wife and I realized, you know, we're very independent, both mm-hmm. of us. And so, but it made us, it made us rely um, on our faith and, and on our friends to, to really get us through. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, my, my final kind of 
cheerleading to them would be <laughs> would be you're even though you don't feel like you're making a difference and you're doing a good job, you are. Yeah. Um, and and you know you you're making a difference in that in that child's life, and and that can't be measured. Yeah. 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 I think it's a. Uh, the thing that I'm learning as I enter that world more and as I interact with people who are in spaces like that is that it's a, it's a really beautiful thing to, to be put in a situation where you need other people and to be able to be that person to someone uh, and to also be in a situation where you need something from other people. Um, that is the, substance of deep community that's it like is. that's like where you find those deep relationships and attachments is uh you know whenever whenever you're an infant and you depend entirely on another person you form these really deep attachments and so even as adults and as young people whenever we find ourselves in situations where we have to depend on each other and where we we really need somebody to show up and be there for us um, that's where the deepest relationships are formed. And, and it's a privilege to have people like that in our lives and to be that person to other people. And so I think as, as we explore like that much bigger idea that our podcast is about of how can we be a city where everyone flourishes? Uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, identify within that picture of flourishing is that every person would experience love and give love. And I think whenever we whenever we talk about love, we're really talking about those types of attachments where um, we really need one another and where we show up for the people who need us in a selfless way, in a way that is self-sacrificial and sometimes painful. Um, but I think I really want to live in a community where everybody is experiencing that and where everybody is... Uh, having those types of relationships where they're there for the people who need them and where they have people uh, that they can lean on as well. So, yeah. I would second that. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of community. And if we get to play music while we do that, right? that's even, even better. better. Even better. <laughs> so, that's right. That's, that's right. So. Let's have a kinder music for adults. I would yeah. <laughs> I'd be a part of that. Yeah. Uh, no, when we talked on the phone, you had you were really hopeful about kind of where Evansville is in this area. You said that we have a, a good pipeline to support families. Could you talk about just kind of the more hopeful, what are we doing well, those kind of aspects? Sure. So specifically in the um, foster care arena, which is what I'm familiar with, you know, we have, we have a great support system for, for kids and families. We have uh, an organization that's been here for a few years now called the Isaiah 117 house, which is different than the project. The house is a place where when a child is removed, they can go to the house mm -hmm. while they're awaiting placement, um, which is great because then the kids don't have to um, be in an office, sleep on the floor, any of those things. They can get a shower. They can get some clothes if they need it, any of those things, mm -hmm. and, and wait in a very safe and fun mm -hmm. place, clean place, until they are um, put with their family. And then... After that, you know, that's kind of where the ones, the Isaiah 117 project takes over, where we're identifying those families and saying, okay, well, now those families are have placement. So we're going to wrap around you and we're going to say, okay, what do you need? How can we support you? Who can we get you connected with? Um, 
so that you can continue to, so you can continue to foster, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, if, if maybe this child is placed back with um, their family of origin, mm-hmm. then you're willing to take someone else um, into your home. Right. So we want to make that opportunity available to them with mm-hmm. the support. Um, and then once a child hits age 18, we have another organization called Foster Care in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, which um, is a great organization, and they specialize in getting GEDs, helping with jobs, um, getting apartments, and driver's license, things like that. And so we, we really have a great pipeline in our community um, that we have the potential to, to really change the face of children in care and, mm-hmm. and the care that families and children receive. Um, you know, I think it was maybe two years ago. I think it was 29, three years ago, 2019, I think 2020, just, I forget <laughs> that it's even happened. Yeah. So, um, uh, it, a study came out that, um, Indiana was second in the nation in, um, child abuse and neglect and Kentucky was number one. Mm-hmm. And so we are right there at the center yeah. uh, of that. And so that's why our numbers are extremely high in this region. And so if we can create um, this pipeline and this system that that helps families and helps children, you know, we're not just changing the lives of that one child or that right. one family, we're changing generations possibly. Right. You know, and, and we could be a model for other communities to say, wow, this is really working for them. They've got a place to go right away when they're removed. They've mm-hmm. got support for the family, you know, when yeah. when the family takes over and, and takes a child into their home. And then once the child, you know, kind of ages out, then they've got support for that for that individual, that young adult, so that they don't end up on the streets and homeless. Mm-hmm. So I really do think Evansville has a great um, system kind of in place. Mm-hmm. So it's, cool. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, really speaks great. highly of, of our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, if, uh, if you are interested in being a part of that pipeline that Jeremy just talked about, um, we actually already have a page on our website, uh, sort of devoted to, um, those organizations that he referenced and a few others who are collaborating around um, the topic of foster care in our community. And if you find that page on our website, we actually have a space where you can get connected into that and find the be- the best opportunity that you have to serve in one of those organizations or alongside them in some way. Um, so Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having uh, me. It's a pleasure thank to just hear more of your story and the great work that you guys are doing. And uh, and thank you for being for Evansville. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.